podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Moira had been concerned about Dan. Dan is Moira's neighbour, although truthfully, she hadn't really been aware of that fact until fairly recently. He's not a direct neighbour. He lives five or six houses down at the end of the street, but a neighbour nonetheless. Moira has noticed that ever since she's become aware of Dan's existence, he seems to be going through some sort of slow but relentless breakdown. Perhaps he had always been this way, Moira had thought when she first observed his erratic behaviour. He had certainly seemed unbalanced when they had first met. Or perhaps her awareness of him and his disintegration were just a coincidence. Things seem to have come to a head now. Moira stands at her window, looking out at the scene in the road, her phone in her hand, her finger resting lightly on the number nine as she debates what to do. Moira had become aware of Dan in October, and perhaps he was then, as he had always been. But early in November, one of her neighbours, Shona, had stopped Moira on her way to her car one chilly morning to express a concern. The concern was about Dan. Have you got a sec? Shona asked breathlessly, hurrying towards Moira, dragging her reluctant little terrier along behind her. Morning, Shona. Yes, of course. Moira was on her way to work, but had left with plenty of time. Moira mostly enjoyed her neighbour Shona. Shona was a gossip, terrible busybody, but had a beautiful garden with roses all hues and a vigorous climbing hydrangea. Have you heard of this Dan person? Dan Pickering? Dan? Moira wrinkled her eyebrow. At the end, Shona nodded her hand in that way. Oh, our neighbour Dan, Moira said. Yes, I'm aware of his existence. Shona chuckled at this, then her face clouded again, serious. Well, she said, leaning towards Moira, I'm, I'm a bit worried. Something came for him to mine. Something? You mean like a letter? Shona lived at number 12. Dan was at 21. These things happen. A, a parcel only. Shona looked around as if suddenly concerned she'd be overheard. It sort of fell apart fell apart. It, it was on the step. I, I mean, I was in, so I don't know why I didn't hear them knock. But anyway, I found it when I was taking Horace out for his wee. She looked down at the terrier who glowered back resentfully. Only when I picked it up, the bottom opened and the contents came out. Well, Moira was entertained by the story. What was in it? Did you take it round? I can't. Shona almost wailed. It's, it, it's not. It's not what? Moira was laughing. <laughs> Come on, woman, spit it out. It's a toy. I mean, it's a toy. Shona opened her eyes, trying desperately to say without saying. Then, when she saw Moira was still bemused, rolled her eyes and added with a stage whisper, for sex. 
What? Moira squealed, giggling. A sex toy. Like a vibrator. It's not funny, Shona insisted, fighting a smile and losing. It's quite funny, Moira grinned. What sort was it? Has he got a woman in there? I've never seen one going in or coming out. Has he got her chained to the radiator? That's the worst bit, Shona was back to her stage whisper. It's from a company called Bad Thing. It's a horse. I I mean, it's plastic, rubber, whatever, but it's a horse part. Life-size. Moira was really laughing now and had to bend and put her hands on her knees to steady herself. It's fine for you to laugh, Shona sniffed in mock hurt. But what am I going to do? How can I go round there with a foot-long horse part in a box for a man I hardly know? Moira stood up again, wiping tears from her eyes. Just tape the box back up and pretend you never saw it, she said. Leave it on his step, then you won't have to deal with him at all. Shona packed up a bit at this idea, and after a few more bits of gossip about other neighbours, she said her goodbyes and bustled away, dragging the cantankerous Horace with her. All day, Moira kept remembering Dan's horse part and giggling. Several people asked her what got into her, but she didn't explain. Where would she start? It was a couple of weeks after that when she encountered Dan herself. She was walking one crisp Saturday afternoon to get a loaf of bread and maybe a small treat for herself from the shop round the corner. As she passed his house, she observed Dan squatting on the pavement beside his car, fiddling with a tyre valve. He turned his head as she went by, a look of confusion and rage on his face. Moira didn't pause then, but when she was on her way back, he was in the same spot, looking even angrier. So she stopped to see what was wrong. Is everything all right? She asked taking in his angry red face. I can't get it off, he barked. Can't get what off? Can I help? Moira switched the carrier with her bread and chocolate into her other hand, bending to look at what he was pointing at. It's soft. Dan stood up abruptly and kicked the tyre. They're all soft. Oh, Moira said. I have a compressor. Would you like me to fetch it? He rolled his eyes theatrically as if to say, Women. I have a compressor, he said painfully slowly as if she were an imbecile. I cannot remove the valve caps to use the compressor. Ah, Moira was not an imbecile. Well, she said brightly, mine unscrew. Yes, Dan hissed, infuriated. They all unscrew, but mine won't. Moira gestured then as if to say, may I? and Dan stepped back out of the way, shaking his head disdainfully. Moira had a go at unscrewing the nearest valve cap, which was utterly immovable. Well, she said, standing upright again. You're right, it does seem to be stuck. Dan, squatting again, did not reply, clearly having decided she was not worth interacting with. Funny coincidence than being stuck right when the tyre needs air, Moira added. Smiling faintly, I expect if you take it to a tyre shop, they will be able to loosen them for you. Dan was not looking at Moira, but the back of his neck was flushing an angrier red. Sometimes it's best to get a professional involved. Before she moved off, a little spring in her step, Moira saw the vein in Dan's temple throb and hoped he wouldn't suffer a stroke before he managed to resolve his little problem. In mid-December, they had their first really cold spell – And one night, following a day of arctic rain, the pavement and road froze. They had a robust neighbourhood association, and Moira was pleased to see, stepping out of her gate the next morning, 
that just as the gritter had come down to the street to address the road, someone had been out on foot and salted, so the pavement shone darkly wet and ice-free. As she was opening the passenger door of her car to drop the bag into the footwell and retrieve the scraper from the door pocket, Moira heard a yell. She turned to look down the street and saw Dan sprawled on his back on the pavement outside his house holding his head and shouting. By the time Moira got to him, several others were already there, including Shona, who never missed a drama, and Ian and Jeff from Number 19, who ran the Neighbourhood Association. Like a fucking ice rink, Dan was shouting as he struggled to right himself. And Moira saw that indeed, outside Dan's gate, there was a wide patch of black ice, maybe an inch thick. He was sitting in the middle of it now, ruddy with fury. It's very odd, Ian was saying. The rest of the street is fine. Someone's done it, Dan shouted. He crawled, his hands and knees sliding precariously around as he went backwards towards his gate. Which one of you has done it? The small group, now joined by Alice from number four with her twins in their buggy and Alice's husband Mike, looked at one another, bemused. Dan reached his gatepost and pulled himself up by it until he was standing, a hand still wrapped around the back of his skull. The small crowd exchanged worried glances with one another. Well, he demanded, who was it? Did what? Ian asked. I think your bit of pavement has just been missed. Missed? Dan yelled. His face was now a medium shade of claret. Someone has done this. Someone has made it. I see one of you. Who was it? But Dan, Jeff said slowly, carefully, it was you who was on the rotor. It was you who salted the street last night. Do you think maybe... He paused, clearly unsure of how to ask. Maybe you forgot to do outside yours? Moira walked away during the subsequent explosion of swearing from Dan. The man seemed unstable and she was reluctant to become too involved. Alice and Mike had reached the same conclusion and she found herself falling into step beside them. They're getting big, Moira said, nodding towards the twins, bundled up under their layers of blankets and scarves in the pram. Fifteen months, Alice nodded. I think he's all right. She glanced back towards Dan, who was still shouting. Hard to say, Moira said. He did seem to have bumped his head. No, Alice lowered her voice. I mean, more generally. She paused, then rushed on. Only, we had some catalogues delivered two hours from him, but by mistake they were very odd. Alice... Mike said, his voice a gentle warning. Moira liked Mike. It's better not to gossip, she agreed, but curiosity is only natural. Odd, Moira said. Alice cast a look at her husband. He's right, she sighed. All I will say is, I didn't know that there were that many kinds of handcuffs. Never mind the variety of whips. Moira stopped abruptly then because they had reached their car, but Alice and Mike walked over with neither of them pausing nor adding anything to this statement, only Alice calling a brief, Cheerio! over her shoulder. It was getting towards Christmas when the thing with the lawn became visible. Dan's house was on the corner, so his back garden was in view from the pavement, which wrapped all the way around the two sides of the property. 
Shona was the one who told Moira in the dark one evening when Moira had just got her key into the door and didn't really want to listen to Shona's little tattle. Have you seen? She asked from the gate. Sorry? Moira turned reluctantly towards Shona, who was leaning over the gate. A bobble hat pulled down over her grey curls. The lead of the malevolent Horace hung on one wrist. That Dan. His lawn. Shona's face shone with excitement. She loved a bit of drama. His lawn? Moira said dumbly, wondering how she could extract herself from the conversation quickly. But she needn't have worried. Shona had already half turned away, preparing to walk on. His lawn? Shona repeated. Seems to be where he put the salt he forgot to put on his bit of pavement. The man's got a screw loose! Then she was gone, and Moira, relieved, went into her house and closed the door gratefully behind her. It was dark now when Moira was coming and going to work in the week, it being the middle of winter, so it was a few days later, on the Saturday afternoon, when she remembered Shona's comment. She had decided to go and get herself something delicious to have after dinner, and as she passed Dan's, she glanced over the fence to look at the lawn. Written in dead grass, with chunks of gritty road salt still visible, were the foot-high words, I'm watching you. Moira took in the scene, noting that the words were oriented to be read from the street, not the house, and then glanced up. Dan was there, in a bedroom window, his angry face framed by an incongruous garland of cheery Christmas lights. As Moira caught his eye, he reached to the side, presumably for a cord, and a blind fell abruptly between them, obscuring him from view. It was around six, and Moira was at her sink, draining pasta through a colander. A huge, billowing cloud of steam rose, and she leaned through it to open the window a little. Then she heard shouting. Her kitchen window faced the property next door, not the street, so she abandoned the pasta and walked through into her living room to try and see what the issue was. But the commotion, whatever it was, was further down the street, out of view. So, Moira, while silently arguing with herself about the morality of the noisiness, climbed the stairs and looked instead out of the window of her spare bedroom. Dan was standing in the street, actually in the road, shouting. A fucking joke! What the fuck are you playing at? Think it's fucking funny, do you? He screamed. He was pounding his fists against the front passenger door of a dark saloon car, which was stopped there outside his house. The occupants of the car Moira could see only vaguely through the windscreen under the orange glow of the streetlights, but they looked confused, confused and frightened. Terribly sorry, I found them out jogging, I thought you'd want them back. The occupant of the car was shouting, and Moira had to really strain to hear her. Well, you thought wrong! Dan roared back and threw something, something small and hard which struck the windscreen. Moira thought she could see a tiny crack there, a little star of injury in the glass. Dan stalked around the front of the car now, aimed a last kick at the driver's door, then slammed back into his house. After a few seconds of shot silence, the saloon car slid up the street past Moira's house and away. Well, Moira thought, thinking back to the first time she had encountered Dan. That seems in character anyway. Later, Moira took a stroll down that way to see if she could see what he had thrown. Something small and shiny glinted up at her from the gutter. Bending, she picked it up and saw it was a set of keys. Two Yale keys on a plain split ring with a slim black plastic fob. Stopping under a street lamp, Moira turned the fob over and saw it had a little window. Underneath the clear plastic, printed, not written, 
was Dan's name and address. February was unseasonably warm, and on the last weekend people were beginning to cut their lawns. Moira had dragged the mower out and done her own, and was just getting out of her car, clutching the prize she had awarded herself, a bottle of white wine, when she heard the swearing. Shona was halfway down the street and turned to give Moira an urgent, beckoning look. It was Dan again. Moira gave Shona a look back with a small shrug of, what's it to do with us? But Shona just beckoned to her more frantically, so Moira went. Wordlessly, they approached Dan again, closing the gap between one another as they got closer to the shouting until they stood behind his garden wall together, almost touching. Dan's shed was in the corner of his garden, with one end facing the road and the other his neighbour's fence. He was inside it, shouting. Dirty fucking cunts, he spat from inside. Dirty fucking nasty bastards. He burst from the door at the other end and saw them. Moira felt a twist of fear seeing his enraged face. Everything okay? She squeaked out. Some dirty bastard has pissed, actually urinated into my shed. Moira didn't know what to say to this, so she said nothing. Through that, Shona swallowed nervously. Door? No. It was locked, of course, through the window. Dan's tone was one of contempt. He clearly regarded Shona an imbecile too. Moira looked at the window. It faced the road. It was hard to tell if it was glass or plastic, but either way, it looked like a very normal window. In one upper corner, a very small piece was missing. A triangle with sides, perhaps an inch long at most. It was around eight feet above ground. But how... She began, and then seeing his reddening neck, she bit back the question. Shona had no such wisdom. How could anyone do that through there? The older woman blurted. The redness of Dan's neck began to bloom dangerously onto his face. How should I know? He sneered. But the dirty bastards did it. They must have... He looked from the pavement to the hole in the window, calculating the height. Stood on a ladder! He finished triumphantly. Shona persisted, suicidally, Moira thought. You you think someone stood on a ladder in the street and aimed a wee through that? She pointed at the hole. Wouldn't you or someone have noticed? Dan was scarlet now. Moira could see the vein throbbing through his temple again too. Well, I don't fucking know! He screamed, all I know is some dirty bastard did something because my shed's full of piss and the mower's rusted to hell. But, Shona ploughed on, and Moira's inner sense of self-preservation alarm rose from squawking to screaming. She grabbed Shona by the arm. Shona, she said, we really have to go to get to... She cast frantically about that thing, remember? She began to drag Shona away back up the street. Sorry about all that, she called to Dan as they went. Hope you get it sorted. Back outside Shona's, the older woman shook her arm free and rounded on Moira, disgruntled. What did you do that for? she demanded. That man is deranged, Moira hissed. Do you want to get murdered? Shona was unmoved. Murdered, she said, rolling her eyes. The man's a... a dickhead. She pronounced it as two words in her soft, plummy accent, and Moira had to fight an unexpected laugh down. A complete idiot of man, always shouting about something. 
with his flapping mouth and his red face, writing threats on his lawns and ordering his disgusting horse parts on the internet. I'm not scared of that pillock. And with that, she tossed her nose into the air and sailed into her house, closing the front door quietly but decisively behind her. But now, in March, Shona's tune had changed. Moira woke to the doorbell going over and over almost continuously. She squinted at the alarm clock. 5.13am. All right, she called out, rolling out of bed still half asleep and charging down the stairs. Images of police flashed through her mind as she put her hand on the door of accidents or disasters or of we're terribly sorry to tell you's and sirens and heartbreak. But when she opened it, she saw it was just Shona, sagging and pale on the doorstep. In her hands, she clutched a brown parcel, one end torn open. Oh, Moira, she wheezed. What? Shona, what's happened? Moira stepped aside, ushering Shona towards her kitchen. Pushed into a chair and handed a hastily made cup of very sugary tea, colour began to return to Shona's cheek. She slid the parcel towards Moira. That came to mine, she said. For him? Moira looked at the address label. Dan Pickering. Well, she eyed Shona, unsure of the problem. Take it to his. I know he was acting a fool the other week with that shed situation, but just leave it on his doorstep again. Look inside. Shona's voice was a whisper. Moira turned the parcel and lifted a corner gingerly so that the contents tipped out onto the table. There was a box. Cardboard, which, according to the bold red lettering on its side, contained ten packs of thick black rubber gloves, extra long. A bottle of triple-strength protein dissolver guaranteed to clear any drain blockage or your money back. And finally, taped inside a clear plastic bag, a garden machete. Oh, Jesus. Yes, indeed, Shona said, dropping her face into her hands in despair. What am I going to do? Moira considered for a moment. Did you open it? She asked. Shona was shaking her head. It was open already. Her eyes were fixed on the machete. It was on my step like the last one. I I, I picked it up and it just all spilled out. Finish your tea, Moira said, chewing her lip and thinking. After some discussion and another cup of tea each, they decided to put it on his step and leave the matter be. It's not illegal to buy this sort of stuff, Moira reasoned. And even if it does look dodgy as hell, he was gardening the other week and men do sometimes enjoy the more extravagant, slashing type garden tools. And if you had a problem with your drains, you would want to have a decent pair of gloves while dealing with it. Once she had been convinced of this, Shona left quickly. The sun was still rising. If she went right away, she could leave it and be home before he was likely to see her. Now it was three hours later, and Moira was standing at her window, holding her phone, watching the chaos unfold, questioning the wisdom of letting Shona deliver that machete. Come out, you cunts! Dan was in the road, as red as she'd ever seen him screaming. Come out and face me! Whichever one of you is doing this, I'm going to cut your fucking head off. He was staggering around, waving the machete in the air. Moira looked along the houses opposite and saw several curtains twitching. Hopefully someone else would call the police. She watched as Dan began to walk up the street towards her. He'd been shouting when she'd first encountered him, 
He'd clipped her car wing mirror with his own as he passed, just as she was putting her belt on getting ready to leave for work. It hadn't been damaged, just pushed back. Moira had wound her window down and popped it back up into place. But as he'd pulled a little way down, Moira, assuming he'd done so to check if he'd broken anything, had stopped beside him to let him know that it was okay. No harm done. She didn't know he lived there then. So the stream of insults and swearing he produced when she told him he'd clipped her but not damaged her mirror had caught her completely off guard. She had driven away only for him to follow her, too close, flashing and beeping. He had parked beside her at the supermarket and then seemed to follow her home, passing twice as she was parking. The following day, she had realised he actually lived there, so maybe some of his following and passing had been legitimate and not harassment. But the incident had frightened her quite badly and also enraged her. Fuck him and his ilk. Foul-mouthed, self-important, domineering, nasty, bullying prick of a man. If she'd been a man herself, he'd not done it, she thought. He'd have gruffly apologised and moved on. It was only because she was a woman that he'd felt free to follow and intimidate her. Only because he felt secure there would be no retaliation, no consequences, did he act like this towards her. And a fire, stoked by a lifetime of being treated by these sorts of men in these sorts of ways, burned hotter in Moira's belly. There were sirens in the distance. Good, someone else had called. That was better. Moira put her phone down. Dan was in the street almost outside now, but shouting at Shona's house. Was it you? You ugly old bag! Come out! Everyone knows you're a fucking gossip spreading your poison. I saw you creeping around with boxes. Yeah! He turned a slow circle, gesturing to his hidden audience, then came back to face Shona's. I'll cut that ratty dog of yours into quarters. Face me, you sly bitch! He shrieked this last, stabbing the machete towards the house. The horse dildo had been the toughest to arrange. Moira knew a very bitter colleague in purchasing who was only happy to order ridiculous, terrible things on company accounts. He'd already ordered 30 kilos of raw chicken for an HR manager he said was a coward and 20 bags of rotted manure compost for a director he said was a shitbag. Moira had waited until they were alone in the break room before suggesting it. (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny to order a dildo for that dick of a CEO? There's this company that does really awful ones. He'd started Googling before she'd even left the room. When it arrived a few days later, she swiped it from the mailroom before it could make its way out onto the intended desk. She had been careful, though. She touched nothing with her bare hands. She used various other colleagues' logins to print the address labels. She walked entirely around the block at 3am to leave the sabotage package on Shona's doorstep so as to avoid the video doorbell on one of the houses between theirs. The tyres were simple. Little 2am foray, little tube of superglue. She'd worn latex gloves, but even so could get a fingernail into the valve to let the air out. She was only out of her house for 14 minutes. Outside, the police had arrived. Just one car. Two officers got out of it and approached, addressing the situation. They called out to Dan to calm himself, but Dan was resolutely irate. They told him to put the machete down, and he just waved it at them and screamed semi-coherently that he had unfinished business with his neighbours and he would be finishing it. Moira watched as one of them spoke into his radio. Then they retreated to their car. Dan continued to rant from the road. 
He had wandered out now as far as Alison Mike's. Or was it you? His voice was crackling a bit with all the screaming. Was it you, Michael, who pissed in my fucking shed? She was quite proud of the black ice because it had been so tricky. She had to avoid the neighbour's doorbell and she couldn't put a hose around the whole block. It would have had to be half a mile long. So instead, she bought an extra wide hose, taped garden canes to it, slightly overlapped to keep the first 40 feet of it stiff and straight, and then spray painted the whole thing black to match the pavement. She'd had to leave where the crane ends overlapped untaped so that she could unfold it. She couldn't fit a 40-foot length of straight hose inside her house. Then, late at night, she'd gone out and fed it. Taping the cane ends together, she went slowly, slowly along the street. She knew it had to cross the threshold at the video doorbell's house's gate slowly enough that it wouldn't trigger the motion sensor. Once it was clear, she trotted around the block to pick it up on the other side and drag it, still agonizingly slowly, the rest of the way to Dan's house. Then she had to run back around to put the tap on. The wide bore gushed fast and washed the salt away quickly, but making a thick layer of ice took several hours as she kept waiting for the water to freeze, then turning the tap back on to add yet another layer. It was the riskiest element. Even with the hose camouflage, there was so much opportunity for someone to see something. Once her little death trap was done, she had to drag it all back, equally slowly. Around 5am, she'd just managed to get the last of the hose inside, folded back into the cane-length sections, and closed the front door, when she heard a milk van coming up the street. She'd pressed her spine against the door, her heart hammering, and bitten on her own fist to stop her squealing with glee. She'd done the lawn missive the very next night, with a carrier bag full of grit, a kitchen funnel poked through one corner to direct the flow. She'd just worn black and kept her hood up, but she needn't have bothered. There was nobody around to see her. The catalogues she ordered from the library in the next town over. She'd hung out there on a Saturday morning watching the computer bank. Every time someone who paid for an hour left after 55 minutes, she'd slide into their still warm seat and use the last five minutes of their session to sign Dan up to every weird and wonderful service and mailing list that she could think of, always with every detail correct, but the house number. Everyone in the street, including her, had received at least one questionable catalogue from Dan Pickering. The keys had been fun. Her youngest brother, in the bad old days of internet, had bought a tin of keys assorted for one pound on eBay back when people were still saying, you can sell anything online to one another. He had some idea in his 16-year-old brain that he'd find a lock to match a key and some wonderful treasure would result. He had left the tin at their parents' house when he left home. Moira had taken it from their loft. His absence was not noted by their elderly parents, who hadn't been up there in a decade. There had been 158 keys in the tin, and Moira had put them in pairs into 79 split rings she'd swiped from the merch supply cupboard in work, each with its own label fob. Persuading the printer in product development to print out labels the right size had been a bit of a battle on reflection, and her hands had gotten very sweaty inside the gloves cutting and inserting them into all the fob windows. She took them with her every time she went out and left them all over town, on park benches, cinema floors and public toilets, in bars, on buses and supermarkets. She hung them on fence railings and threw them into school playgrounds. She dropped one in the pool changing room at the gym. Some she just flicked carelessly under parked cars. 
She was a bit disappointed that she'd only witnessed one set coming back, but given the violence of Dan's reaction to it, it can't have been the only one. the street now, parking across it so the sliding door was on the side away from the apoplectic dam. Moira smiled as she saw the officers of the armed response unit slipping quietly out. She knew someone in armed response, a friend of a friend, and looked down at the group, their physical features obscured by helmets and Kevlar body armour, their rifles raised tight against their chests, wondering if he was down there. It was almost time. The piss in the shed was another small masterpiece. She couldn't use her own pee, of course. They would be able to DNA test that. There was a lamppost a few streets away with no cover on its wiring box. It had been broken open a few years back and was now entirely gone, but the lights still worked and nobody seemed in a hurry to fix it. Moira had wedged an old takeaway container in the bottom side so that when the neighbourhood dogs lifted their legs and pissed into the opening, the results were collected. Each day, she went and emptied it into a flask it was never more than an ounce or two at a time. When it was icy, she had to replace the whole container and take the frozen pea home to Thor. Whenever she had enough, she would fill the ridiculous ice tray she'd gotten in the office secret Santa, the one for making bottle ice sticks, and would put the resulting 10 frozen piss sticks into a freezer bag. By January, she had 100 and she began posting them whenever she passed through the little hole in Dan's shed window. It took a second. To the casual observer, she was rearranging her coat sleeve at the shoulder, pushing her hair off her face, adjusting the strap of her handbag. So simple. It was perfect. And the last parcel was as straightforward as the first. The gloves and the drain cleaner she'd stolen from housekeeping at work. The machete she bought at a garden centre nearly 200 miles away with cash. Lifting the packing by the corner had given her a little thrill, knowing if anyone checked, her prince would be there, and Shona would be able to give a perfectly legitimate reason for that. Moira turned away from the window now and made her way downstairs. Dan's rage was continuing outside, but she knew this was the now or never moment. She put on her coat and picked up her biggest, most ostentatious headphones, settling them on her head and turning them on. She set her favourite playlist to stream from her phone into her ears. Then she put her phone into her pocket, took a few deep breaths and went out of the front door into the street, Mr. Blue Sky blasting into her brain. The volume was so high, Moira was genuinely deaf to everything else. And it was easy to fake obliviousness as she went out towards her car, studiously not looking at Dan or any of the officers. Nodding her head to the beach, she stepped out onto the road round the driver's side of the car. As she reached the door, she let herself look. She pretended to take in Dan for the first time, and his machete, and the police vehicles. She looked right into Dan's eyes, which were narrowed in rage. But he made no move. He just stood there glaring at her. So she called out to him cheerfully, What's all this horseplay? The effect was instant. With a roar, he raised the machete above his head and ran at her. Moira closed her eyes for a second. There were two sharp cracks behind the thump of her music and something heavy barreled into her. Her eyelids flew up again. She staggered a little but didn't fall. Dan was on the road at her feet, the machete bouncing from his hand and skittering away under the car. There was a hole in his temple. Bright blood pulsed from it in a steady torrent. 
he was still staring at her. But there was no rage in his eyes now. There was no Dan there at all now. Officers swarmed towards them and crouched around him where he lay, running through their procedures of the situation. One of the uniformed police came to Moira and began to lead her away. As she passed it, Moira noticed her wing mirror was folded back. He must have fallen against it. She reached out and popped it back into position. There, she thought, as the officer led her back towards her house. No harm done. This story was written by Beck Stranger and narrated by Miss Lee Rose Neville. For more stories that haunt as well as a behind-the-scenes look at what we do and why we do it, you can join our Patreon at patreon slash pleaseleavepod. You can follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at pleaseleavepod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com and our website is pleaseleavepod.com. This has been a Please Leave Media production.